And we shall now turn to the chapter which we've read together, Ephesians chapter 4, and our text for tonight is verse 30. Ephesians 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieve not the Spirit. The Spirit of God is hugely important for our salvation. Salvation is planned by the Father, particularly by the Father. Salvation is accomplished particularly by the Son. He is the one who earned our salvation for us by his death on the cross. And salvation is applied by the Holy Spirit who takes the things of Christ and takes the finished work of Christ and applies it to us. And so you see how the different members of the Trinity have different roles. This is usually called the economic trinity, the Father planning salvation, the Son earning salvation, and the Spirit applying salvation. We've also got the ontological trinity, as it's called, the Father begetting the Son, the Son begotten of the Father, and the Father and Son, and the Son generating the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit generated by the Father and the Son. So the Spirit then is the one who applies salvation. When the Word of God is preached, and you know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, when the Word of God is preached, the Spirit takes the Word. The Spirit speaks through the preacher, and the Spirit opens the heart, the ears and the hearts of the hearers so that they receive the word. The word comes then with the Spirit. And sometimes you have what is called the common strivings of the Spirit. The common call of the gospel. Turn from your sins. And you might hear that call for many years and at times be a bit moved by it, but yet never convert it. And then we have what is called the effectual call. And that is the mighty working of the Spirit, transforming the individual, coming with power. The effectual calling, it comes from God. Initially, the call of God, whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate. Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. God the Father planning salvation. God the Father calling. God the Father justifying. God the Father glorifying. But how does he do it? He does it through the Holy Spirit. He does it 
through the agency of the Spirit. So the Father calls by means of the Spirit. Effectual calling is a work of God's Spirit, convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills, persuading us and enabling us to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the Gospel. So the Spirit then, He's striving with individuals and you can resist the spirit. My spirit shall not always strive with man. He was striving with people before the fall and they resisted that strivings apart from Noah and the other members of his family. The rest resisted the strivings of the spirit. That's a common strivings. But when the Holy Spirit intends to save, then you get the saving strivings of the Spirit, the effectual call. And the effectual call is answered immediately by the new birth, regeneration. So the soul is born again. Turn from your sins and believe in Jesus. But the person is dead in trespasses and sins. So we need regeneration. We need to be brought to life. We need our eyes opened, our ears opened, our hearts opened, our lives brought to life so that we're no longer dead, so that we can respond to the call of the gospel. So the new birth, born of the Spirit, born from above, the new birth, regeneration, get all these different names for it in the Bible, the new creation, regeneration, the new birth, the new creation, being born again. That is essentially God's Holy Spirit coming to live in your heart. You becoming a temple, a house, a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God comes to reside in your heart. That's the new birth, the work of the Spirit. And then, in coming to reside in your heart, the Spirit works faith and repentance, convinces you of your sin, makes you hate sin, so that you turn from it with grief and hatred for your sin, and you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith in trust. It's the Spirit that enables us to repent and the Spirit enables us to believe. And the Spirit unites us to Christ. And it's because of our union with Christ that everything else takes place. We are saved by becoming part of Christ, members of his body. He's the head, we are members. Branches in the vine, he is the vine, you are the branches. We are engrafted into Christ, united to Christ by our effectual calling, by regeneration, by the Spirit coming to dwell in our hearts. And the Spirit sanctifies us, turns us from sin more and more, turns us to righteousness more and more, enables us to overcome sinful lusts and desires to grow in grace and in knowledge so that through our lives there's progressive sanctification. By the Spirit we're enabled to fight against the devil. 
against lust in our hearts. And you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body. It's by the Spirit that you're able to put to death, to trample down upon these deeds of the body, deeds of the flesh. So the the Spirit then, the Spirit is illuminating your minds. The, you come to the light, you see the light, you feel the truth, you know the truth. You're drawn towards God, more and more growing in grace and in knowledge. You're enabled to pray by the Spirit. We know not what we should pray for as we are. We need the Spirit to help us, to show us what to pray for, to give us an earnestness in prayer, to give us faith in prayer and persistence in prayer. We need the Spirit to help us in prayer. And the Spirit assures us, witnessing with our spirit, that we're the children of God. The Spirit gives direction. You walk in the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And the Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, where the Spirit comes to dwell, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All these wonderful things, the Spirit is working that out in our lives, filling us with love, love to the brethren. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Love to God, love to one another, joy in the Lord, peace in our conscience, long-suffering and trials and tribulations, gentleness, goodness, faith, etc., So the Spirit then, he's with us, enabling us to persevere and eventually glorifying us. How important is the Spirit's work? Now the point of my sermon tonight is just this. The Holy Spirit is to a large extent missing today. Missing from the lives of individual Christians. Missing in congregations. And missing in churches. Why? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of promise. By whom you are sealed. Unto the day of redemption. Are we not grieving the Spirit? And causing him to withdraw from us. Well, first of all, I would like us to think about the sealing of the Spirit. By whom you are sealed unto the day of redemption. What is the sealing of the Spirit? Now, sealing means different things although they're linked. Sealing authenticates. If a seal is put, if a seal is put on a letter, it's got the seal of the one who sent it. It's showing who sent it. When King Ahasuerus sent out his his laws, his letters, to the various parts of his empire, they were sealed with the king's seal. The king's authority was there, so the seal authenticated. It showed that it was genuine. 
and it came with the authority of the one who had sealed it. Think too of those sealed in Revelation chapter 7. Hurt not the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, till the Lord's people are sealed upon their foreheads. That seal marking them out as belonging to God. God's people. Or think about uh, Jesus' grave. You remember how a big stone was was rolled up to the mouth of the cave where Jesus was buried. And it was sealed with Pilate's seal. Sealed with the authority of the Roman Empire. Who dare break the seal? Anyone who breaks the seal is challenging the power of Rome. And the angel happily broke the seal because the angel didn't fear the emperor of Rome. He came down and rolled away the stone. But the seal was keeping the tomb closed with the authority of the one who had sealed it. So a seal authenticates, it assures the individual who he is. He's got that seal upon him and he knows who he is as one of God's people. Assurance, assured of the seal. It also shows to other people who you are. You've got the seal of God upon you and that reveals to those around you who know you, they can see that you are one of those who are sealed. And the seal protects you. You are sealed unto the day of redemption. To the day when Christ comes again to complete the redemption of his people. Because our redemption is not completed until we find ourselves in heaven. Until he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then it's completed. So... As someone says, it's ownership, it's protection, and it's validation. Ownership, protection, and validation. Now, sometimes theologians argue. They argue over the point, is it the Spirit himself who's the seal? Or is it something that the Spirit does? And one can argue on either side for that. But surely it's what the Spirit does in us. The Spirit comes to live in us, but the Spirit marks us. And it's that mark, that sign, that stamp of the Spirit, that authentication from above, it's his work in us, his work on us and through us that shows that we are the children of God. The Spirit witnessing with our spirit, the Spirit bearing testimony to your inner soul that you are a child of God, that's the seal of the Spirit. Now, some people think of the sealing of the Spirit as a kind of second blessing. The first blessing is conversion and the second blessing 
the sealing of the Spirit. In a sense, Dr. Lloyd-Jones had an idea like that. He spoke of some ministers at times of revival, the seal of the Spirit coming down upon them. They were particularly empowered and strengthened and enriched to be enabled to preach God's word with liberty and great authority and conviction, and many people converted. And he spoke of this as the seal of the Spirit. And for justifying that, he um, would refer to a verse in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So he and others would argue, well, there you have it. First you believe, and of course when you believe, you're saved, you're justified. And then after you believe, you're sealed. But you notice it doesn't put in a period of time here. And furthermore, Paul doesn't say, some very special people amongst you Ephesian Christians, after that they believed, were sealed. It doesn't say that some of you were sealed and some weren't. But it's speaking, it's addressing all the Ephesians, Christians, and it's saying to them all that you were all sealed with the Spirit after that you believed you were sealed with the Spirit. So you are all sealed. So what we have here is, of course, simply that every Christian is somebody who is born again, somebody who is justified and adopted and sealed with the Spirit. Every Christian. Not just some in Ephesus, not just some in Inverness. Every true Christian is sealed with the Spirit. Sealed with the Spirit. It's not some second blessing. It's not some special anointing. Yes, there can be second blessings. And there can be third blessings and fourth blessings. You remember Peter, how he was told, after you're converted, strengthen your brethren. You remember how he fell by denying his Lord three times. And then he was converted again. And he strengthened his brethren. So after that he had believed, but every one of them, Believed, and every one of them were sealed. Now, the Spirit himself dwells in every Christian. And the Spirit will never totally withdraw from a Christian. Where he begins the good work, he will bring it on until the day of Christ Jesus. So the Christian never totally loses the spirit. David prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. The spirit was taken from Saul with drastic consequences. 
but Saul had never been truly converted. He'd experienced certain strivings of the Spirit with him and certain enablings from the Spirit, but he was never regenerated. He never really from the heart was saved or converted or born again. But David, David was. And although David fell, yet the Lord did not forsake him. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where God begins the good work, he will bring it on until the day of redemption, till the judgment day. God starts the work, God continues the work, and God completes the work. And every Christian is sealed with the Spirit, and every Christian is a temple of the Spirit, and every Christian, even when they're sinning, whatever they're doing, whether they're involved with a harlot or involved in drunkenness, they're involved with a harlot as the temple of the Spirit, profaning the temple, which is a very serious thing. They're involved in drunkenness, defiling the temple of the Spirit. Whatever sin we do, we do a spirit Spirit people who have the Spirit in us. And that should be a great restraint upon us. It's an awful thing to pollute the temple of God, to defile God's house. The Jews saw it as a terrible thing if anyone were to defile the temple. And you and I should be like that with regard to sin. What a terrible thing it is to defile the temple of God, which is your body. So the sealing of the Spirit, then, is that which comes on every Christian and marks out every Christian as belonging to God. Now, the second point I wish to make, then, tonight is that the Spirit can be grieved. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Now... We might find that strange to think of God grieved because the Spirit is God. The Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And of course what we have here is what's called an anthropomorphism. It's speaking of God in human terms. The only member of the Trinity who ever suffered or ever could suffer was the member of the Trinity who became a man. The second person of the Trinity in human nature suffered and died. But God the Father can't suffer and God the Spirit can't suffer. So what does it mean then? Grieve not the Spirit. Well, it's talking in a way that we can understand and it's emphasizing to us that our sin is obnoxious to the Holy Spirit. Our sin is abhorrent to the Holy Spirit. Don't cause grief to the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit is 
the Holy Spirit. He is holy in himself. And he's particularly called the Holy Spirit because he is the one who sanctifies us and makes us holy. That's his great work. He's holy, he's loving, he hates sin. Now all of us sin, and we sin every day. And we can't stop sinning. It's our duty to stop sinning, but we can't stop sinning. But again, we must remember that there are some sins more heinous in the sight of God than others. Some sins are worse than others. There's gradations. And while all sins are evil and wicked, there are some things which are stressed as particularly distasteful to God. Now here we are told in this very passage about the sort of things that grieve the spirit. Look at verse 25. Wherefore, he says, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Don't lie. Don't tell lies one to another. We're members one of another. We should be honest with each other, trustworthy. Don't lie. Remember, remember what, what it says in Titus, the God who cannot lie. God cannot tell lies. We are to love the truth and we're to hate lies. Lies, deceitfulness, deceitful lusts as it is in verse 22. These things Grieve the spirit. Be honest. Be carefully honest. Don't tell lies. Verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. How can you be angry and not sin? If you're angry for God and his glory. And when you see his name trampled underfoot. And when you see the temple of God defiled. Be angry. And sin not. Christ was angry when he saw the temple defiled and he made a whip and he chased the merchants, men and the thieves out of the temple. Sadly with us, much of our anger is not righteous anger, but wicked anger. So much of our anger is because of hurt pride. Because of our feeling of self and our self-rights whereas we have no self-rights God has rights not us we are servants dependent upon God we should think about our responsibilities not our rights God has rights you and I have responsibilities. But let not the sun go down upon your wrath. God hates to see anger and people falling out with one another. Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, you're a murderer. John said the same thing. If you don't love your brethren, you're a murderer. Neither give place to the devil, verse 27. The unbeliever is 
possessed by the devil. The unconverted is the house of the devil. And when you're converted, when you're regenerated, the devil is put out and the Holy Spirit comes to live in your house. Don't give place to the devil. Don't let him get his foot in the door. Don't allow him to stick his nose in. Keep him outside. Neither give place to the devil. Hate the devil. Fight the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. Verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more. God hates stealing. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Instead of stealing, be charitable. Give to the poor, give to the needy. Look out for people who are in special need and try and help them as best you can. God hates stealing. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Corrupt talk. For every idle word that we speak, we shall be put into judgment. That's what Christ said in Matthew 12. Every idle word. How many idle words cross our lips? How careful we are to be in our speech. Foolish jesting, which is not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. Gossiping, slandering, lewd talk, unhelpful, unkind talk. These things grieve the Spirit. And then, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. Is this the reason why we're not seeing blessing? Where we've seen very little blessing in the last 20 years? Is it because there's so many Divisions amongst us, so many parties. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. I'm on this side, I'm on that side, I'm for this, I'm for that. Party spirit. How can you expect blessing with party spirit? God hates it. He wants unity, He wants love. He wants every one of us to prefer one another rather than themselves. To think more highly of others than we do of ourselves. To wash one another's feet. To take the lowest place for ourselves. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Why? Because these things grieve the Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. 
Well, finally, when we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, what happens? He withdraws. Now, he doesn't totally withdraw, as we said. The Spirit continues to live in every Christian, but he largely withdraws. His influences, his enjoyable presence, his power, his power in the preaching, his power in the prayers, his power in our witness, his power in our lives, his joy, his peace, his long-suffering, all these blessings that are connected with the Spirit's work in us, our assurance of salvation is diminished because we've grieved the Spirit. We've suppressed, as it were, the Spirit. Remember the words of Isaiah 59, verse 1. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear grown heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Why is God not hearing your prayers? Why is God not answering them mightily? His arm is not shortened. It's not grown small. God's arm is as mighty as it ever was to reach out and to save and to deliver and to cut the Red Sea in two to allow his people to pass through on dry land. God is still the Almighty and his ear has not grown deaf with old age. But your iniquities have separated have raised a barrier between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. There's a very dramatic picture drawn for us in Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11. We have a picture there of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord which dwelt upon the mercy seat between the cherubims and the Holy of Holies. And you remember how the glory, the Shekinah, the presence of the Spirit, moved out of the Holy of Holies and stood upon the threshold of the temple. Ah, but there was so much defiling of the temple with idolatry and immorality. The Spirit of the Lord could not stay. And the Spirit of the Lord rose from the threshold of the temple to the mountain, the Mount of Olives. And the Spirit of the Lord stayed there for a little time. But then the Spirit disappeared. The Lord leaving his people. And that is a warning, a warning to you and me. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Spirit doesn't totally withdraw. Praise God for that. Where he begins the good work, he brings it on. But the felt presence. Remember the two on the road to Emmaus. 
How wonderful was the felt presence there. Their hearts burned within them. Burned with joy. As the scriptures were being opened for them. Their hearts were thrilled. How wonderful it is when you're on your own, alone in the secret place and you are enabled to pour out your heart with liberty to God in prayer. You're given special earnestness and wonderful joy in praying. How tremendous it is to hear preaching with power. When do we hear preaching with power? I look back in my own life and I can think of some ministers that I heard in days gone by preach with power, convicting power, challenging power, the power not of man, but of God. And the presence of God was felt in the church and people were convicted and the tears were flowing from their eyes. Not just one or two, but many. But why are we not seeing that today? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, by which you are sealed unto the day of redemption. We long to see that presence and power of God again. God hates our backsliding, our pride, our deceit, our party spirit. And God hides his face from us. And as Christians we become more and more materialistic, more and more worldly, more and more lifeless, more and more spiritually sleepy. The seal is gone. The unction, the anointing of the Spirit isn't there. The brotherly love doesn't seem to be so active. And the mighty pleadings and prayer are missing. Words, just words. Words in the prayer. It's easy to multiply <coughs> words, but where's the power? Easy to multiply words in preaching. But where's the spirit? Well, friends, I wish to bring this verse to you as a challenge. A challenge to you and a challenge to me. Are you grieving the Holy Spirit? Am I grieving the Holy Spirit? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed authenticated, assured, marked out as different and protected to the day of redemption. Let's pray. O Lord our God, how much we need thy spirit, how far we have backslidden from thee, how much sin has got a grip of us, Help us to humble ourselves before thee. Help us, Lord, to truly repent, to turn unto thee with full purpose of 
and endeavour after new obedience to be new men and new women in Christ Jesus, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, making no provision for the flesh, but crucifying the flesh with its affections and lusts. Help us then, O Lord God, come to us as individuals, come to us as congregations, come to us as a denomination. And Lord, do thou do for us what we struggle to do for ourselves. Do thou, O Lord, bring about a mighty reformation in our hearts and lives and in our Christianity reformation and revival, repentance and confession of sin, turning from it to the Lord. Oh, work in us mightily and pardon our great iniquity for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Our closing praise is Psalm 81. Sing in verses 12 to 16. We could read at verse 11. But yet my people to my voice would not attentive be. And even my chosen Israel, he would have none of me, the complaint of God. So to the lust of their own heart. I them delivered, and then in counsels of their own, they vainly wandered. Oh, that my people had me heard. Israel my ways had chose. I had their enemies soon subdued. My hand turned on their foes. Verses 12 to 16. So to the last of their own hearts I
animations, services on Sabbath at the usual times, 11 and 6.30. The prayer meeting on Thursday, that's next Thursday, 7.30, to be taken by Reverend Ian Smith, who will be staying in the manse and will take the services on the following Sabbath, the 16th of God willing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.